there's 11,000 startups launched every hour in the world. You know, wow. so we're not we're not hurting for startups. The challenge is how do you scale up? So you don't want to just like throw it all in and go back when it's just you and a helper, you know, working out of a spare, spare bedroom. Right do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today, we have a special guest. His name is Vern Harnish. Vern is the founder of the world-renowned Entrepreneurs Organization, which I'm a part of, which I've been talking about quite a bit. You've probably heard me talk about it with other actually EO members uh, on this podcast. So there are over 11,000 members worldwide. And Vern has chaired for 15 years EO's premier CEO program, The Birthing of Giants, which is held at MIT. And it's a program that he still teaches today. And Vern is the founder and CEO of Gazelles, which is a global executive education and coaching company with over 180 partners on six continents. Vern has spent the past three decades helping companies scale up. And by the way, you have to check out the book, Scaling Up. If you're trying to grow your organization, the worksheets, the checklist, me being a lazy marketer, I like using those and just deploying Print those out, use them for your business. Vern is also the Growth Guy syndicated columnist, and he's also the venture columnist for Fortune magazine. He's the author of the bestseller, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, and that actually translates into the Rockefeller Habits 2.0, which is scaling up. And it has won seven major international book awards, including the prestigious 2015 International Book Award for Best General Business Book. Vern also chairs Fortune magazine's annual scale up and growth summits, and serves on several boards, including chairman of the Ryerdan Clinic and the newly launched Geoversity. And finally, last but not least, Vern is a private investor in many scale-ups. Vern resides currently in Barcelona, which is where he's calling in from right now, uh, with his wife and four children, and enjoys piano, tennis, and magic as a card-carrying member of the International Brotherhood of Magicians. Vern, how's it going? Eric, thank you so much for that, and you're out in Vegas. I'm out in Vegas for a conference right now. I'm trying to get out of here as soon as possible, but I'm, I'm here enjoying my time. Um, but yeah, but Vern, I mean, great to have you here finally. have been a, a long-time admirer of kind of everything you do. Good. Well, it's always good to spend time with a fellow EO member. <laughs> great. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your story a little bit? I've, I've talked about, I've given you that introduction, but maybe, you know, how you came about, you know, founding EO and kind of, you know, what you're up to uh, nowadays, kind of most recently. Well, I was in college and with a professor of mine, co-founded ACE, Association of Collegiate Entrepreneurs. And we got that thing global in about 36 months. And uh, early participants, Michael Dell, Mark Cuban, we hosted the big event for Steve Jobs after being fired from Apple. And that then morphed in 1987. Uh, I founded what was YEO, Young Entrepreneurs Organization. You had to be under 30. Then we all turned 30. So we raised the age. And- <laughs> Kept, do, kept doing it. Then we got rid of the word young and now we're the entrepreneurs organization. So been at it, as you mentioned, uh, this is my 35th year and really just trying to do one thing. You know, how do we help startups 
which by the way, there's 11,000 startups launched every hour in the world. Yeah, you know, wow. so we're not, we're not hurting for startups. The challenge is how do you scale up? And so that's what, that's what we address. And it's all, how do you handle the chaos that comes with trying to add people and add customers and product lines and services and keep all that organized. Uh, so you don't want to just like throw it all in and go back when it's just you and a helper, you know, working out of a spare, spare bedroom. Great. And you've seen all these trends over time. What are the kind of the, the trends that you see? What are the like the big mistakes that people make when they're trying to scale up their business? If you were to name like one or two main factors? Well, you know, the number one, which is, you know, an area that you're an expert in is the is marketing that I mentioned in the book. It's the number one functional weakness inside a company. And if you don't have a well functioning marketing department and activity, it's absolutely going to be difficult to scale. And you need marketing not just to attract customers, but you need marketing to attract talent, investors, advisors, attention, you know, by the media. And that's why it's such a critical function. So I want to dive back into EO for a little bit, why you started it. You gave a little backstory, but what is the story? What's the impetus behind it? Uh, what got you to say, hey, we need to have this EO thing. We need to have this organization. Well, it was that night that, that we hosted Steve and he had been fired from Apple. We were his first public speech, had about 1,200 crazed entrepreneurs in the audience. And then we threw this private party there at the Bonaventure Hotel and Steve stayed and and, you know, it kind of sat in the corner and the, you know, uh, Joanne, one of the entrepreneurs, you know, asked him over to dance and I'm sitting there looking at this situation and it came to mind a good friend of mine, Joe Mancuso, who founded the CEO clubs. He always had this line, it's okay to be independent, but no reason to be alone. And I got to tell you, it is lonely at the top. Uh, it's tough being an entrepreneur. You're making decisions there that impacting not only your life, but other people's lives. And there needed to be this support group that was there to you know, watch your back and somebody you could share your experiences with. And I got to tell you, a lot of entrepreneurs think they're the only ones going through a lot of the stuff that they are. But hey, there there's a big crowd of us out there. And so at the heart of EO, as you know, is this thing called Forum. In fact, I had my forum meeting just yesterday. Nice. And, you know, you get eight to 10 entrepreneurs in a room. We have a very focused process and we're there to be that confidential place where you can share anything that's on your mind. And, and the key is you got to get it out of your mind or it's going to drive you nuts and you got to be able to speak it and then have others share their experiences. And so it's all about watching each other's back. Love it. Yeah. No, just to share a little story here. I mean, when I was about 25 years old, when I was trying to think about what I wanted to do next, I looked at, you know, entrepreneurship and I, I called the guy that ran a digital agency and I said, what's been the number one biggest factor? And you, you might actually know who this guy is, Dave Capern from a company called Likeable. So basically I was like, hey, what's the number one factor? And he's like, you know, honestly, the, the number one change was uh, me joining this group called Entrepreneurs Organization. And it's exactly what Vern described it as, where you're able to basically get with a group of people that are like-minded, very driven people, you know, they're part of different businesses and you share everything, right? If somebody's wife is cheating on them or something like that, or like some business partner is like, you know, taking something away, whatever it is exactly, you keep it confidential in there. You talk about business stuff, you talk about personal stuff. And it, it's that important sounding board because as very mentioned, you know, this, this game of entrepreneurship, it does get lonely, right? And to be able to, you know, just speak to people, even once a month, get together with their forum, have, uh, you know, for us, you know, we get together and then we, we have mandatory dinner right afterwards. Like you build a strong bond with people and you realize like when I first joined, I was about 27 years old or so. And, you know, the oldest guy in the group, 53 years old, I thought I'll never have anything in common with a lot of these people because, you know, they were 
um, either in their 50s or 40s or whatever, but you, you start to find out that age, it's just a number. The fact that you've been able to hold it for so long, you know, 35 years or so, you know, what's kept it going? At the end of the day, it's a good product. My insight that I put out, which I do every Thursday, I I pointed to a quick piece we did in Fortune, you know, Tim Ferriss, four-hour guru, and I loved him. You know, he knows how to get to the heart of the matter of things. And he had three simple, simple tips for branding and marketing. And part of it is just get focused, hang in there, and have a great product. That's going to carry a long way, and I think EO's got a great product. One of the questions, I mean, we always like to talk about numbers. Um, people in the audience are really interested in marketing. So how many customers, since you have a great product, how many customers are in EO right now and across how many different countries? Good. Well, it's 12,000. They crossed that mark. You know, I should know the countries and stuff. I'm not involved in leadership. But Gazelles, you know, the company I run today, we just crossed 210 coaching partners. We've got about a little over 2,000 active clients on six continents in any one day. And combined, we've got about there's about 40,000 companies, including some big ones like uh, David Butler and the guys at Coca-Cola and GE and Lowe's and Intel that are using our scaling up tools internally. So we've got a pretty good reach. Can you talk about, you know, the qualifications to get in and then what the general costs are for EO? Again, you know what? I'm not I haven't been involved in leadership for 20 years. I, I 20 run years. Wow. now. OK, got it, Eric. You know, I'm just a member and a forum and got it, got they it, got let it. still teach at the MIT. But you have to be doing at least a million. And I think the dues are, you know, a couple thousand dollars locally and, and two or three thousand dollars that you pay globally. So it's 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 nominal five or six thousand. And if you're not getting a hundred or a thousand X a year back, you know, you're you're messing up. You will, by the way, and I'm not affiliated with them. I'm, I don't get a commission or anything. Uh, just FYI. Yeah, so do I. Yep, yep. So twelve thousand. You guys can do the math there. You can multiply by two thousand or three thousand. Get an idea of, of the scale there. I want to talk about gazelles for a little bit. Then, so you talked about you know the templates there, the training that you guys do exactly. But when does it make sense for an entrepreneur? You know, what level does it make sense for them to go to gazelles and say, "Hey, I need help," and what kind of help are you guys typically giving them? Yeah, they. I can't like EO. Once you've kind of. Uh, as Michael Masterson said, kind of between zero and a million, you just need to sell like hell. And don't get all caught up that you got everything perfect, the logos, the name, the all that. You just got to get out there and get whatever business you can. But once you've crossed that million dollar mark, now it's time to kind of clean things up. You know, you've got eight or 10 or 12 employees. It's not just you. Start to have some management issues. You got to get everybody kind of aligned and on the same page. Uh, anytime you get over one or two people, you've got communication issues and our meeting rhythms help with that. And, and it's good to put together a very simple one page plan. So you have an idea. What is the priority this quarter? Something that Mark Zuckerberg does it at uh, Facebook. What do we have to do this year? And as Mark laid out earlier this year, he laid out kind of their their big, hairy, audacious goal where they're going in the next 10 years and kind of the roadmap. And it was laid out very simply on a screen and you can do the same for your business. So we built tools to help entrepreneurs once they've kind of hit 10 employees and then 50 employees on up uh, to manage this chaos and keep everyone organized. Great. And just for everyone, if you're looking for these these um, resources, you can just Google, um, type in one page strategic plan and you put in gazelles afterwards. So you make sure you're landing on the right site. Uh, that's gazelles.com. And there's all these templates that you can you can uh, use. You don't need to buy anything off the bat. But I guarantee you, like after you start doing this stuff, you're just going to become indoctrinated, which is part of the strategy why you guys are giving this stuff away. Right. You know that they're eventually going to it's going to come back to you guys. Right. 
Yeah, for sure. And I might even recommend an easier site to get to, which is the one based on the book, scalingup.com. So the book is scaling up, the site scalingup.com, and we've got even a free chapter you download on strategic planning, how to kind of prepare and run your first session. You got a sample one-page strategic plan. That's where all the tools are up there in multiple languages that you can download and a lot of resources. So we're there to help. And, you know, it's, you know, Adam Grant was right. You got to put it out first. And and if you're doing good, it, it does have a tendency to come back. And, and we've had a, I've had a great life and our company's done well. Though we've just entered a new phase. We just set our new big, hairy, audacious goal for the next decade ourselves. And, and we're on fire. So we're, we're very excited. Would you mind sharing that goal? You know, we got 2,000 clients. We wanted to go to 20,000. But that seems so bland. And what we landed on, we want to help 150 cities around the globe launch scale-up ecosystems like these robust startup ecosystems that they have. And rather than run a you know startup weekend with 10,000 people that show up, we're going to identify the top 150 scale-ups in each of those 150 cities. And so that's going to give us a targeted group of 22,000 plus companies that we're going to be able to scale over the next decade. And with that, uh, we think we can put a dent in the universe. Love it. Okay. And what do you guys typically charge a client? We have kind of a menu that you can choose from. It's like buying an airline seat today. But generally, you can buy a box of books for a hundred bucks. You can go to a workshop for a thousand dollars, or you can bring somebody in for a couple of days to run your strategic planning for 10,000. Or, you know, we have a lot of clients that pay us five to 10,000 a month in order to make sure that they can scale. And and they obviously find great value in that. So one of the key things, I, and I actually heard this on another podcast, I had no idea you actually said this before, and it really got me thinking. And so, and by the way, you can correct me if you've never said this. Um, so the organization's biggest weakness is the CEO's biggest strength. I maybe butchered that. Do you want to rephrase it? No, you nailed it, Eric. Yeah, whatever's the strength of the founder, the entrepreneur, the CEO will ultimately become the weakness of the organization. So if your strength was the product, if your strength was sales, if your strength was operations, if your strength was the organizational culture side, what will happen is as the company scales, you have to find someone who is good or better than you in that area you're strong with or you're going to get stuck. The mistake entrepreneurs make is they say, hey, that's an area I can watch while I'm also trying to be CEO of the organization which is complex enough. And so you bring in somebody junior and that's even worse. So you've got to really make a decision. And that is like Randy Amen, his title was founder and head of customer service. He loved that one aspect of the business. Didn't change his ownership percentage, but then he brought in a CEO and CFO and COO and scaled that thing and sold it to a couple billion dollar company. He knew what piece of it he loved. I'm the same way. The only thing I love in our company is the R&D piece of what we do. And I've got to bring you know, execs in to backfill in every one of those other areas. Uh, If not, like marketing, I was driving the marketing of our company, finally woke up and brought in a chief marketing officer, paid her more than I paid any other executive in our history, but our revenue jumped 40% that year. And all I wanted to do was stab myself for not having made that decision sooner. Everyone, it's Eric here. I just wanted to call out a very powerful marketing tool that we've been using for the past couple of years. It's called Hrefs. And it basically allows us to see what kind of links we have coming to our site, how our keyword rankings are doing, and over time, what our link velocity rate looks like. Also, we can look at our competitors too, see how well they're doing. We can also use their keyword difficulty tool to see 
how many links are required to get to the top 10 for a very specific keyword. There's a host of other features as well, such as their content explorer, which shows you different content ideas that you can come up with. And it's just by far one of the best SEO tools that we've seen to date. So if you want to get access to this, just go to growtheverywhere.com slash hrefs. That is spelled A as in apple, H-R-E-F-S as in sugar. So it's growtheverywhere.com slash hrefs. And you can go in and get access. So, you know, if I were to use myself as an example, I love marketing. You're saying that basically I should find someone that's better than me. And then what would I do? First of all, I guess to confirm that that's what you're saying, right? Well, you got to do one of two things. Because, you know, as a company scales, you started out early wearing multiple hats. You know, you're head right. of the company. You're also driving marketing. You may have been making the sales. And at times, you know, some of the folks in the audience are actually, you know, writing, writing code. And that's fine. A one or two or a three-person organization. But if you want to scale, you're going to have to pick one of those activities. And so you either have to say, all right, I'm going to drive marketing full time. 24-7, and I'm going to backfill all the other pieces. And we have a worksheet called our face tool, function accountability chart that companies use to kind of, you know, get down this list. Or you got to say, no, I want to be CEO of this company and I'm going to have to backfill marketing. So it's a little bit like what the Google boys did with Eric Schmidt. They brought him in on the board. Then he was CEO for a while, you know, for quite a while until Larry Page felt like he could then step back into that role. And so you've got to, you've got to pick and choose, Eric. So you said zero to one million is all about sales, 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 right? From a one to 10 million, what should the CEO be doing? You know, that's where you actually want to focus on gross margin. You're pretty lean and mean up until that million. And you don't notice it, but you just start throwing bodies and, and money at problems that start to, to rear their head. And, and where you had a good margin at a million to three million, you start to lose it at about 10 million. And that's when you wake up and say, wait a second, I've just tripled the size of the company and I'm actually making less money than I did before. If not losing money, that's when it starts to get out of hand. Okay. So gross margin from one to 10, how about from 10 to hundred? You know, that's when you want to then start looking at profitability and saying, all right, now we got to get this model stabilized and let's create a consistent profit machine. That's, that's what everybody wants is for you to figure out how to make a consistent profit machine in a very turbulent world. And if you do, they pay you the big bucks. And this is actually a two-pronged question. So first, tell us about one big struggle you faced while trying to grow EO as an organization. My head was not into EO. Don't worry, we're, we're going to do both. So was, we're going to do EO and we're going to do, we're gonna well, do gazelles too. You know, it, it's funny, it, it scaled very rapidly. You know, it took the first, you know, kind of 48 months to get it organized. We got to 150 then Mo, who I brought in, that, I, that time I brought in the right person. And he scaled it from 150 to 1,500. Then we brought in another leader, and they took him 1,500 to 7,500. And it's now accelerating. So I did not bring in the right person to replace me when I was scaling up ACE. And that's why it died. And so I learned the lesson there and said I wouldn't make it a second time with YEO. Got it. Okay. So that's the organizational side of things or of EO. How about gazelles? What's one big struggle you face while growing this business? Well, I initially uh, struggled it with cash. You know, the first law of entrepreneurial gravity, growth sucks cash. And I raised a chunk of change from angels. And then we did the half million, million, two million, four million, getting ready to do eight million. And boom, 9-11 hit. And I'd lost a million bucks in about, you know, 10 weeks. And it was over, Eric. And, you know, I had, I had let my margin slip just as I discussed early from 
55% to 42%. And that 13 points made all the difference in the world. And I was dutifully losing money, which is what you're, you know, was the cool thing to do uh, <laughs> in, in the late 90s as you were, you know, going and blowing. And, you know, I got hit by the banana truck. And that's when I got religion and took, you know, John Mullen's advice. He's recently written a book on it, you know, get your business funded by customers. And as Michael Dell learned from Tom Meredith, you know, go from a positive cash conversion cycle to negative. You know, the faster Dell grew, the more cash uh, his company generated instead of losing cash. And so getting your arms around that cash cycle is critical if you want to scale. We all know business are, are cash sucking machines. So whatever you put into it, it it's going to eat up. So That's I guess right. on, on the you know, on the other side of things to, to be, you know, for entrepreneurs to be a little more prudent, I mean, how much cash do you recommend them having in the bank? And also what other things can they do to kind of make sure that, you know, they're not going to uh, get completely destroyed by something, you know, unforeseen like a 9-11? Yeah, no, I know it's tough in those first 24 or 36 months. But, you know, Bill Gates always had a rule from day one. You know, he wanted a year's worth of operating expense in the bank. So if he went a year without a dollar of revenue, they could still keep going. And that's what I did when I got religion and lost everything in 2001, starting 2002. We changed our margins, our product mix. We raised our prices. You know, I said, I'm not going to sell this stuff at a loss anymore. I'm going to find customers to value what we do. I got a bunch to pay me up front. So we got the cash. And today we have enough cash in the bank that if, you know, something happened, we didn't make it. We didn't have a dollar revenue. We'd all still uh, survive. And I'll tell you, you age a lot slower and you sleep <laughs> a lot better at night for sure. That's good. That's something we all struggle with as entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. yeah and you got to make a decision. It was my wife who put the heat on me. She's like, "Look, honey, I love you as an entrepreneur, but this roller coaster ride we're on is not fun." And that's when I set up the Julie Fund and said, <laughs> "Look, it wasn't pay me first. I got to pay her first. That really helped drive us to put significant money aside, which has been great then to invest during these downturns when assets have been half price. You know what's interesting? I mean, I was just in my forum meeting last week and uh, myself, there's another entrepreneur group that's basically the same age as I am. And, you know, we were more aggressive where a lot of the, you know, whatever we make in the business, it just goes automatically into, you know, the business or into like another business where, you know, we think we have the best shot of, uh, instead of investing in stocks or whatever, we think we're going to generate the best return. And we're just aggressively doing that where it's like, you know, we're, we're not even taking a lot of these. We're, I guess we're gambling a lot more. Do you think that's right for entrepreneurs that are a little younger? Can, you know, the, the risk tolerance is higher. Um, I guess maybe there's some stories you can share around that. I just want to kind of voice that thought. No, I'm telling you, the banana truck's always around the corner. I don't care what age you are. Mm-hmm. And so, look, look, there's a reason Warren Buffett's maybe a bad example, but he sits on 80 billion cash. He doesn't even have the stock market. He doesn't have it at work at all. It's there. So when a good opportunity comes along, he can jump on it. And so, you know, I'm not talking about 80 billion, but I think you ought to have 100,000 or several hundred thousand, whatever you're comfortable with. Right. Yeah. At any size so that you can jump on opportunities to get, you know, to grab a piece of talent that you might need. Or you finally figured out how to make your Facebook marketing work. And now you need to pour some fuel on. the Yeah, fire. totally. And you got to make sure you got some cash to do that. So I think saving up for a rainy day is is an important early lesson and not spend everything you've got. Putting some cash aside is part of what you need to spend your money on. Love it. 
Yeah, you know the. I mean, and also, I, I think one bit of advice I can add on is, is get a good CPA that actually understands kind of what you're trying to do. So, you know, the CPA we have currently, we actually share the same CPA. It's just like they tell us what our risk tolerance is at, and they're they're telling us exactly what we need to watch out for. And you know, like you mentioned, the banana truck is around the corner. I've actually never heard that before, but um, I'm going to be using that more anyway. And by the way, let me mention a book. You know, so our CPA is Greg Crabtree. Greg Greg wrote that kind of accounting chapter in scaling up. And I really recommend every entrepreneur read his book called Simple Numbers. And he really kind of wraps you upside the head about what it is to run a good versus great business and not paying yourself a salary and giving it away and not maintaining margins. You haven't really proved anything. I mean, I can give anything away. It doesn't take a genius to give something away. It takes a genius to sell it at a price where you make the margins so you can fuel the growth of the company. And so that's what you want to figure out. Love Revenue it. is vanity. Profit is sanity. And cash is king. So you talked about talent for a little bit. I want to talk about talent. How do you go about acquiring the best talent? You take a piece of paper out and you write down a list of the top 20 people you know that are going to know someone that you can get access to. And by the way, you're going to have to often rent or borrow, beg that talent. So my wife's looking for some design help on a label for her new olive oil product. And, you know, we got with some friends last night and long story short, there's a top designer that owes my buddy a favor and he's going to get right on this next week versus, you know, you could waste 25 grand doing stuff like that. And so the key is really to work your network. And I don't think people take enough advantage of the folks that they already know. And you get on the phone and you say, look, Charlie, I know you know somebody. And he says, well, if I think it's somebody, I'll go back to you. You go like, look, Charlie, you're not going to get back to me. I know how this works. I'm just going to be quiet. You got to allow for the pregnant pause and sit there and think, who do you know that might be the perfect person for me, you know, for a day a week or full time? And you'll, you'll amass a list pretty quick if you're willing to do the heavy lifting. And by the way, you've got, then you've got to learn how to top grade, you know, read Jeff Smart's book, Who?, and learn how to interview properly because knowing how to choose the right person. You hire the right people, your life's easy. You hire the wrong people, your life's miserable. It's just pretty simple. And if your life's miserable, then you're in this death spiral and you know, you're putting fires out every place. So who's got time then to go find, you know, the next great person. But if you got a great person, all of a sudden you got a lot of free time because they've taken a lot off your plate and you can then go find the next great person. So all growing a company is, is adding talent that's smarter than you. So I want to switch gears a little bit. What's one piece of advice you'd give to your, let's say, 25-year-old self? You know, I just wish I'd been even bolder, but I'd, I'd like to reverse it. You know, a book that really knocked me upside the head now that I'm in my late 50s, I turn 58 uh, uh, tomorrow, in fact. In a Happy birthday. Days. Thank you. Is I read Liz Wiseman's book, who worked very closely with Larry Ellison at Oracle. Her book called Rookie Smarts. And I realized in my 50s that I wasn't near as bold as I was in my 20s. And I really need to kind of give myself a kick in the pants. I mean, when I launched Ace, that was the precursor to YEO, I, I put President Ronald Reagan on my list to get behind the movement. And we did. And I said, I want Steve Jobs and Michael Dell and Inc. Magazine and Venture Magazine. And all of them came on board. And by the way, that I learned that from Regis McKenna. Regis was the one who taught Steve Jobs marketing, Intel, Genentech. And I cold called him as a student at Wichita State 
and said, look, hey, if you're good enough for Steve, you're good enough for me. I've got this vision, had a good elevator pitch of building this global entrepreneurship organization. He agreed to take his on as a free client. Signed us a guy, Rich Moran, who's running a university now, serial entrepreneur, VC now, uh, university president out in Silicon Valley. And Rich took me through the same process that they took Steve through. And it was an unbelievable learning experience. I was actually scrolling through my phone yesterday and I saw a Tony Robbins quote where people were talking about, you know, resources are everywhere, right? The thing that most people lack is resourcefulness. So it sounds like, you know, the thing that you really push for or the thing that you really had a lot of in your early 20s, as you say, is, is resourcefulness, right? Yeah, you just weren't scared to uh, uh, ask uh, anyone for help and go after the best. Why? There's no time for amateur hour. You know, so what I needed to do the research on the ACE 100, I said, who's the number one researcher in the world right now? And that was John Naisbitt, who just come out with Megatrends. And he used this new Fidangle thing called the Internet uh, and these Lockheed databases. And I said, hey, if you can do content analysis for your trends, you can find these hundred entrepreneurs under the age of 30. And he did. So, you know, don't settle for anything but the best. Just be bold. Love it. OK. What's one big change that you made in the last year that has impacted your business or you in a, in a really big way? You know, um, we teach it, but it's hard to practice yourself, especially as teachers. And that is it's infinitely easier to scale if you only do one thing. You know, Google at the end of the day only does one thing. Now, I tried a lot of the stuff and they renamed it Alphabet. But, you know, still 90 percent plus of their revenue and profit comes from search. Airbnb does one thing. Uber does one thing. And we were doing all these things, coaching, executive education, running summits, have these technology platforms. And the fact that we rolled it all into one solution, the scale up you offering to cities, and we only have one customer, a city has been great and much easier. Wow. Awesome. Okay. So it sounds, it almost sounds like, you know, you guys kind of re- or really focusing the vision on that that one thing instead of kind of being all over the place. Uh, that that kind of brings everyone together, right? It does. And it integrates everything and dramatically simplifies all that you do. All right. And what's one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value? So it can be like a Evernote or whatever it is exactly. It could be like something you bought off Amazon. No, you know, it's followup.cc as a spectacular tool. I learned it from Ari Meisel, you know, the author of Less Doing, More Living. And it's just a way for you to say, hey, I don't want to deal with this email right now. I'll deal with it on Friday. You can immediately just forward it to Friday and it shows back up in your inbox. And because I have these theme days, you know, I work on my charities on Friday. I write on Thursdays. I got my meeting Mondays and I can just move emails right to when it's going to be useful instead of having to deal with it right now. But I get it out of my inbox. Love it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you've recommended a couple of books already. I just, I'm interested in learning because, you know, the Warren Buffett's of the world are reading five plus hours a day. What is your, you know, how often are you reading? What does that process look like for you? Well, I got to read a lot. I, you know, one of my uh, jobs is to pick the top five business books each year. My column just came out in Fortune a few weeks ago for 2016. So I got to plow through about 500. But I scan a lot. I, I've learned to, to figure out real quick if this is a book I should continue with or not. I'd say in depth, I'm no, you know, two books a week. Mark Cuban reads three hours a day. And I've known Mark for 30 years, but I didn't know till I read his book. And we hosted him last year at our summit that he's had this routine since his 20s. Uh, and all he's trying to do is get one good idea every day that's going to help one of the 155 
companies he's invested in or owned. So leaders are readers. Or I don't care if you watch YouTube videos or TED Talks or listen, but leaders are learners and it, it's, it's critical. Great. Two more questions from my side before we hop off. What's one publication or blog you tune into every single day? And it can't be one of your properties. Yeah, because um, mine's not every day. It's once a week. I I love Seth Godin's uh, daily that he puts out. And then Brad Feld's quite frequent as well. So those are two that I, I look at religiously. Great. We'll drop those in the show notes. And the same question for books. So what's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? I know you recommended a couple already. I'm going to make you come up with another one. Can't be one of yours. Yeah. Well, the number one business book ever written, and I've been public about this, is Eli Golrat's book called The Goal. And it's a parable that really teaches entrepreneurs one thing. You've got limited time, effort, resources. I don't care if you're Apple. You'd better be placing that where the constraint is in your business. He, uh, he put forth what's called the theory of constraints. And you've got to identify the weak link like Mark Zuckerberg, he's getting ready to go public, but the weak link is he wasn't mobile. And he got the entire company focused on it, and they got mobile, unlike Yahoo. And the rest is history. That drove the next 98% of their revenue growth over the next 18 months. He could have gotten 999 other things done. It just wouldn't have mattered. Uh, we identified the key constraint a week ago in our strategic planning session to scale up our company, and it was unbelievable. You know, we spent a day figuring one thing out, but we did, and it's unleashed uh, an unbelievable flurry of activity just in, you know, the week since we made the decision. That's powerful. Yeah. And that's required. I mean, that's a book that Jeff Bezos makes his executive team read. Uh, everybody knew that comes in. So highly recommend it. I make the people on my team read it too. Anyway, Vern, this has been fantastic. There's so much information in here. What's the best way for people to find you online? Go to scalingup.com. And you can sign up for the weekly insights that are free, uh, good stuff that comes out. Hopefully people enjoy it every Thursday, all that free stuff that we mentioned already before and, and hopefully grab the book, Scaling Up. All right, Vern, thanks so much for doing this. You got it, Eric. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.